The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Joining us for the week, trending, Aoife Barry, uh, journalist, broadcaster and author of Social Capital and Ian Parr, Chief Executive of Spun Out. But before we hear from them, let's hear a little bit more from John Fitzpatrick of the IFA, who spoke to Ben Finnegan earlier. You heard a bit of this on the 5 of 5. Ben asked him whether the IFA's objections to the Electric Picnic 2024, switching to the middle of August, were based on road safety or the ability of farmers to deliver grain on time. The first thing has to be safety. On some of the roads, the, the machinery that's being used is quite wide. A combine harvester, in most cases, um, they're very, very wide machine and they would have to be have maybe a warning machine going along in front of them. And if you have an awful lot of traffic coming into the village at the one time, everybody is going to be delayed and nobody will get to their destination as, as freely as they want. That was John, John Fitzpatrick of the IFA. Now, Aoife Barry, this is all about the decision to bring the electric picnic next year to the middle of August. How much sympathy would you have for the local farmers, given that the roads around Strad Bally are very narrow, yeah. difficult to get through, and they will have work to be doing at that time of year? Yeah, completely. And anybody who's gone to electric picnic knows how busy the roads are. I remember years ago being in you know, really, really long queue of cars for hours waiting to get in there. Um, it seems kind of strange that nobody really thought of the harvest. Maybe it just indicates the people who were booking electric picnic. Just, I mean, I wouldn't know the harvest date, so I'm not saying that in a, in a judgment way um, as someone who doesn't have a farming background. But it, it does seem interesting that that wasn't maybe flagged for the organisers at any point and you can understand anybody who's been stuck behind one tractor knows how long it takes um, to get either around them or to wait for them to turn left or right and or whatever. Then, unfortunately some impatient people decide to make a dash for it and that can yeah. create crashes. We've all seen that happen too and it's terrifying when you're behind somebody who tries that kind of manoeuvre. So, so yeah. what should happen Ian? Well I think you know uh, the farmers really have seemed like their patience has run out Paul Cushion who's a, a farmer in Strabally um, and I'm not sure how, sure how many camels there are in Strabally <laughs> <laughs> but he said it's definitely the, the straw that broke the camel's back so they seem to be up in arms but I think the festival you know my understanding of music festivals is that they tend to, tend to book the acts a year or if not more in advance so potentially next year's lineup is already booked for that weekend Yeah they're saying that Ben was told by Electric Picnic that this is down to the acts available next year been available at that time rather than two weekends on I suspect it is more to do with the fact that Coldplay are playing Croke Park the first weekend in September when there should be an All-Ireland Hurling final but that's another issue <laughs> But that they know that people can't be in two places at the one time, that it might limit the ability to sell electric picnic tickets for 2024 next week when they go on sale if it's up against Coldplay. Yeah, and it's a, it's also going to be two weeks just after Altogether Now, which is the new festival that takes place the August Bank Holiday Weekend in Waterford, which is a similar vibe, similar crowd. Smaller, um, but growing smaller, in popularity. Absolutely growing in popularity. I mean, Electric Picnic is the big name, so I'm sure they won't have any issue selling out. Um, so it's it's hard to see how they, they roll back from this. Mm, if you yeah. should electric picnic sell out automatically is it offering a good enough lineup to justify selling automatic or is it just that for a certain age group now it's almost a rite of passage to have a weekend at electric picnic yeah I mean the idea of going to the big festival with your friends at a particular age you know, especially when you haven't gone to one before is a big rite of passage for people I remember and this is going to age me going to uh, the witness festival when I was in school I think um, and that whole thing just being just being a really big experience and I was thinking about how electric picnic has changed from when I used to go there and you know every single generation has its big festival and then that 
you know, it might start as a medium-sized festival like um, All Together Now and then it will gradually get bigger, get bigger, get to what Electric Picnic is at this stage. It'll become more mainstream because it has to get more people in and it has to get the bigger acts and it has to reflect what music is at the moment and so it's going to disappoint people who are there who are into more, be more alternative music like myself and my peers were back in the day. So it's a natural life cycle of a festival that Electric Picnic is going through and it is huge. It gives people a huge amount of entertainment and most of my friends that go there now, they probably wouldn't be going there for the music but they'd be going there for the experience um I mean, something else is going to come up behind it and go through the same life cycle it's going through. And I'm not surprised that it sells out. But And I'm also based on that, sorry, not surprised that they would change things because of Coldplay. Because Coldplay now crosses over completely with Electric Picnic's fan base in a way that it probably wouldn't a number of years ago, I would think. Okay, this is my opportunity to say, to anyone going to see Electric Picnic this <laughs> Sunday, I'll be in the podcast tent interviewing Donny O'Sullivan of CNN at five o'clock for a magnified podcast, which if you're not there, we will put out as a podcast in the next week or two as well. What about the Reading Festival, Ian, and this decision by the organisers to ban closing, which, quote, promotes cultural appropriation? Yeah, so this is an interesting story in that uh, the festival, along with the other things that are banned, including weapons and all these other items, they've included uh, items of clothing that are culturally appropriative. So essentially, uh, the the examples that are used uh, are Native American ponchos, yak wool, Tibetan shawls and elephant print harem pants so it's it's kind of items of clothing essentially um, interestingly they, they have a, a trader who's kind of saying this is total madness doesn't make any sense and of course that that person would say that because they're the one flogging the them outside of the uh, festival grounds um, I kind of think you know there, there's kind of two ways of looking at this um, number one is that you know it's not okay to cosplay as an indigenous person right so that's the first thing so if you're only wearing it because you know it's seen to be the cool thing to do then that's not really okay. Whereas if you're interested in the culture, if you're wanting to pay homage to a particular culture, you want to kind of get involved and you're respectful about it, I don't think that's as huge an issue. But it is in the case of, for instance, war bonnets or headdresses, for example, from Native Americans. They're sacred objects. They're not really things to be worn at festivals as as a gimmick. Um, you know, so I think I can see uh, definitely the fest- festival organisers' um, approach to this and I could totally understand understand it um you know certain people haven't chosen to kind of maybe educate themselves or learn or, or kind of delve into it a little bit deeper and to understand that you know if people if, if there was a festival somewhere and people were representing you know a, 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 us as a particular kind of way or you know using something that we feel that's very important like i don't know um it's hard to to give Aaron's sweater isn't that <laughs> yeah. very sacred to us but no. you know kind of an example of that kind you know we we wouldn't like it if, if, well, sorry, if that was okay, to but us, I mean, you know? and this might sound absolutely ridiculous, but could then, using your very example, <laughs> somebody go to the organisers of the Reading Festival and say, that person is wearing an iron sweater, that person is not Irish, that's cultural appropriation, confiscate their iron sweater. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I use that slightly um, inappropriately there in terms of it's not a very good example. I mean, Taylor Swift has definitely... Uh, <laughs> yeah, she has, she has appropriated the... Okay, what's your view in this, I think, yeah, like, I, I agree with a lot 
lot of what, what Ian's saying there. And I think maybe the, the problem with this particular example in Reading Festival is it comes down to the language. So I think if you're, and I, I think there's caught, caught in a bind here, right? Because if you say, um, you know, items that are associated with cultural appropriation and you don't specifically maybe give examples of what you're talking about, then that means people are going to be very unclear about what that actually means and they won't understand, well, what, what is, you know, is this particular item I'm wearing something to do with cultural appropriation? And people who maybe don't get that can cause, that can be an issue for them. At the same time, because language and ideas around culture and our perceptions around culture are constantly evolving, if they are too specific about what they're talking about, then they run the risk of leaving out items that might end up being problematic. Like if, if you, look, I was going to say, if you look back to 2014 and 2015, Glastonbury banned a native um, hairdressers because of, the, of what Ian was talking about there, that these items that kind of became to popularity in the US in the 1960s as a way of exploring indigenous Native American culture actually people realised these are ceremonial headdresses they're not just um, a, you know, an everyday oh, item Okay I just thought of one last Saturday night I was in Lansdowne Road for the college's American football game and the Notre Dame team was led out by a guy dressed as a leprechaun all in green with a hat on. Now, that's what they do at the American football games. It's the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame. Should I and all the other Irish people amongst the 40,000 Americans have been offended by that man's dress and have demanded that he remove it? I mean, there's scales of offence. I'm I'm offended by that. I, it's I not really, great, is it? It's like, not great. Nobody likes a leprechaun. Like, I'm not going to be super upset about it, but mm-hmm. the, at the same time, I think that's the shillelagh kind of view like of kind of Irish in America, yeah. and it's a bit twee and it's a bit outdated. We're a much more sophisticated kind of culture and population than that. I think. Yeah, I Are think. You sure. <laughs> well, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody. I think that maybe the situation there is that that is really annoying. Um, but people might not actually be so annoyed that they want the person to be removed from the actual stadium but you know these conversations are really always really worth having because our thoughts about them develop over time and what you might think now actually more things might come to light in a few years time and your your thoughts might change on it and I think you just have to be open to hearing from people who are affected by things and maybe changing your approach as a result of that and that should be okay like you know I'm sure the person dressed as a leprechaun didn't intend to offend the three of us, but maybe if they're listening to this conversation, they might think, "Oh, actually, no, no, I didn't Irish say, people like I that." Didn't say I okay, was sorry, you didn't say offend. You said culturally appropriate Irishness. Um, I, I didn't say I was offended. I just thought it looked a bit stupid. Yeah, I mean, that's. It. I think most Irish people will think that. I think. I mean, for God's sake, like you know. But I wasn't going to start demanding that he take <laughs> off the clothes or that it never happen again. But it's also not cultural appropriation because we don't have any no, leprechauns. No, that is we true. Don't it's not. Leprechauns are not an actual. What? Part of our culture. Okay, not we, anyway. we need to take a break. Ian Power and Aoife Barry are staying with us for more in the week trending. And we're going to be talking about Burger King getting sued over the Whopper size. And I think we might get into shrinkflation and other issues when we come back after this. <laughs> One listener gets in touch to say that the leprechaun at the Notre Dame game last week was from Cavan, if that makes it better. Oh, God. Okay. No, there's a remarkable story just been brought to my attention that's just gone up on the RT website. And it reads, the Department of Education says it has found an additional site for the accommodation of Ukrainian refugees. At Strad Valley in County Leash, it's working with the operators of the Electric Picnic Festival to reuse the high quality tented structures from there after the festival finishes. They will be used to accommodate Ukrainian refugees from next Wednesday after the structures are moved to a nearby site. Apparently this accommodation will be used for a six week period. I presume that's the glamping tents and the kind of like the semi-permanent tents that people can pay extra for as opposed to the 
tents that people that bring discarded. with them. I mean, it, it really highlights the huge issues that the government has had in trying to find accommodation for people coming over from Ukraine. I mean, I don't know how I would feel if I was coming over and that was where I was going to be staying. But, it, you know, it, it seems like a generous offer for electric picnic, picnic well, at the same time to be doing that. Apparently, this is according to this RT report. It comes as the Department of Integration warned that tents may have to be used for new arrivals from next week due to the shortfall in accommodation. Mm. This is a statement from the department that said there's been an increase in the number of people fleeing the war in Ukraine over the summer months. More than 10,000 Ukrainian refugees have arrived in Ireland since the 1st of May, an average of about 650 people a week. And although 7,000 extra beds have been sourced, there remains a significant shortfall in accommodation. But I thought we'd gone past this idea of putting people into tents. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly a commitment of government that they would not. Um, and certainly it's concerning given that we're about to head back into the winter and obviously the summer necessarily hasn't been very summery either. Um, so you'd be concerned in terms of the conditions. But at the same time, I mean, I think the, agenda, the issue has fallen off the agenda. We haven't heard much about accommodation for Ukrainian refugees or international protection applicants more broadly kind of mm. over the summer months. And it's remarkable that, you know, there's still 650 people arriving here seeking shelter and protection every week um, and so it's kind of not surprising necessarily that they are coming to have to, to do this. Yeah and then you think of all the background of the horrendous protests that we've seen as well um, which have caused their own delays to people um, having accommodation international protection applicants um, and refugees as well and I think it's been a really horrible year I think to, to watch all this happen to see people having to flee an invasion and then having issues getting accommodation and then people from other countries also being uh, treated terribly um, in, in some situations so I mean all you can hope is that there will be a better way of dealing with this I think in okay. the future but Let's move on. Is a big ma- or a whopper from Burger King is it named appropriately? Is it really a whopper? Well, according to uh, folks in Miami, it is not. Uh, and they are arguing that, um, the, uh, well, actually Burger King in the first instance have argued to try and get this case dismissed from the court, but the judge was having none of it. Uh, there's a, a class action being brought against Burger King in Miami, uh, again, by customers who feel cheated, uh, the hungry customers, uh, because of the in-store boards depicting the Whopper as having 35% more content, double the meat content than it actually has um, and so have you not had that experience in a fast food restaurant or indeed any restaurant you order something that you believe is going to be a certain size and then suddenly it comes a lot smaller absolutely I think everybody's had that experience which is kind of one of the aspects of this story that's slightly ridiculous in that we all know that the ads mm. on TV and you know where they the the bun is bouncing off a moist piece of lettuce and a beautifully glistening burger and everything looks perfect obviously we know that that's not how they actually show up in the box when you get it. Um, but ac- interestingly, in this case, the district court judge in Miami has accepted the, the class action from the customers, but only for the in-store boards. He has rejected uh, any claims around the TV and online ads. So I think maybe he agrees with that. Um, but essentially what, what they're alleging is that in the in the in store boards, the ingredients are overflowing. That it makes it appear thirty five percent larger than it actually actually is, and has more than double the meat that it actually contains. 
And this is similar. I mean, imagine if you were to look at a Big Mac from 15, 20 years ago against a Big Mac now, it might actually be better described as a medium Mac. This isn't just <laughs> something that Burger King perhaps could answer questions about. Yeah, I mean, there's two things there, I suppose. One is the idea of marketing over reality and that, you know, probably since like, I would say the 1980s, we've all had to kind of fall under the spell of kind of big advertising, particularly in fast food restaurants and, uh, you know, accept that what they're t- giving us is not what we're actually going to get on the plate. And then the second thing is that now living in in 2023 things are getting smaller you go to the supermarket and you see smaller portions for the same price because companies are trying to deal with the inflation issues and more expensive today the VAT in the hospitality sector goes up by well goes returns to 13.5% from the specially discounted rate of 9% which means that most prices that expected will go up 4.5-5% you had your own experience, was it this week? Was it even today? Yeah, I, well, I don't want to say where it was, um, but I, I ordered food uh, in a pub near my near my house in Dublin and I ordered nachos for like two people. So it wasn't a massive portion by any stretch of the imagination. And it was 17 euro. And for I kind of feel like I, I went into a, come across I went into like a fugue, fugue state, I think I went into, where I just kind of didn't really comprehend. And I know places near me where prices have gone up and I do not live in an expensive part of town by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there's, you know, Restaurants who have put up their prices by four euro. Now, anybody listening in who works for a restaurant will say we're we just having to All pass the across of the additional cost. See, I get, I, more I get expensive. It. Yeah. electricity, Insurance. keeping the fridges running, yeah. all the rest of it. It's it's really getting to a point where you're kind of wondering how it's going to break down for the people who are in the, in the hospitality industry and what about customers as well? Yeah, are people going to sort of have one less night out in the month? Are people going to actually start delaying getting their hair cut? And I've not been facetious. There were people texting in last night saying, hold on a second, it can cost 55 quid to go and have your hair cut. That's cheap. for If, if you're a guy, it could cost 50. If you're a woman, it could be 120 euro for getting your hair cut. God, you've never paid 55 to get your hair cut. <laughs> no, again, have I you? definitely haven't. 35 euro yesterday, yeah. but it's still sp- spicy yeah. enough. Okay, it's like, more expensive you know, than it used to be for yeah, guys. Then, 100%. Like, yeah. and, and like, they're good, you know, but... That's we're, it. We're, I mean, you're willing to pay. I'm very willing to pay. I have a great hairdresser lover, but like, it's not a cheap it's thing not a cheap in, in thing general. To do, like, yeah. 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 And it had been six weeks since I had done it before, so <laughs> I did need it badly. But I think we were talking earlier, Eve and I, just about kind of, you know, we're, we'd love to be able to go out and have that kind of glass of wine after work yeah. and kind of afford to have... Yeah. A, a, a small meal or whatever but it is kind of it is at this point kind of getting to the point where you have to rationalise and cut back on the number of, of meals that you, you have when you go yeah. out Are there certain people just to move to a different topic mm. Aoife who really the media should not interview and the reason I'm saying this is I certainly wouldn't if I was given the opportunity to interview John Gilligan do it because he is a career criminal although he was not convicted for the murder of my friend Veronica Gearan mm. he had committed a very serious assault against her people he was closely connected to were found mm-hmm. guilty of his murder. Why would a media organisation give him prominence? I think it's a real moral conundrum for somebody because in one way you could argue, well, it, is it good to hear the perspective of somebody um, of his stature, shall we say, uh, wherever uh, you feel that somebody is. Somebody of no stature. Level. Yeah. Exactly. I um, wasn't saying it was necessarily high. Um you know, do you want an insight into how somebody like him thinks? The other question is, do you want do you do you do you want the insight from how somebody like him thinks? Is it better to not hear from somebody um who has done what he has done, who has the career that he has had, the life that he has had? Um it it does get into this this stage where you're wondering, are you like why are you giving him why are you passing the mic to somebody when maybe you're better off letting their um, you know, 
what, what's happened speak for itself, I suppose, rather than give them the mic. I, think, I don't know what's going to come out of it, that's whether it be new or not. Yeah, I think Ivanka's brother, um, Jimmy Gearan, who released a statement today, was really dignified about it. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he said the absolute right thing, which is that the allegations of an amoral individual and convicted criminal don't warrant a rebuttal from his perspective. Um, I don't I don't care what he thinks. Uh, it, it, John Gilligan, that is. I don't want to know his perspective. I don't want to hear what he's yeah. got to say because ultimately I think we're all aware of uh, what he's done and what he's responsible for and um, he may have been acquitted but we know that it was his gang who was involved um, in ordering um, the murder of Veronica Gear. and so to be honest Personally, I won't be watching it, um, but I'm sure Virgin Media won't be sad about that. I'm sure lots of people will tune in because there's a voyeuristic element to it as well. I yeah. think people want to to see him. They've heard so much about him. He's been so high profile. Yeah, and just for the family, really, it's just uh, kind of hard to get your head around, really, what it must feel like for them. Okay, just to finish... Now, why has Inroad Aaron been criticised over a window campaign? I really love the story um, because they have a biodiversity campaign uh, where they put images to do with Dublin's biodiversity on the windows or biodiversity generally, I think, on the windows of the of particular carriages in the trains, not on every window and not, and not on every carriage, but I think it's like every second window there's one. And they are basically to illustrate things like the curlew, which is an endangered bird, and to let people know what you could see when you look out the windows. But some people have complained that they're actually maybe blocking part of the view out of the windows to see said biodiversity when you're travelling, which, I mean, it was not obviously the intention when they did this. My uh, but thing it's about, very funny. My favourite thing about this story is that they've been in place since January and it's now September and people are only coming on. So maybe it's not that. Very briefly, but you're wearing a green ribbon on your jumper. Can you explain what that's about? Yeah, so today I was at the, the launch Sea Change, an organisation uh, run by Shine. They launched the green ribbon uh, campaign, which is the most of September. It's all about destigmatizing mental health, having folks having conversations about mental health in a way where uh, people can be open and where we all accept that there's no judgment around mental health. We all have issues that we're dealing with from time to time. Ian Power from Spun Out and Aoife Barry, journalist, thank you both very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-